and welcome to What About Us, a podcast that discusses how history, culture, and politics affect rural Tennesseans. I am Sandy Rice, and I am happy to have this podcast be a part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Go to tnholler.com to check out the other programs, sign up for the newsletter, and make a donation. We are a group of progressive voices hollering the truth across Tennessee. My topic today is a trip to Montgomery, a trip I have wanted to go on for some time but was deferred by summer heat in the South and then the pandemic. Every Southerner needs to make a pilgrimage to the Legacy Museum and the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, better known collectively as the Hanging Museum in Montgomery, Alabama. Both sites were dedicated in 2018 by the Equal Justice Initiative, founded by Brian Stevenson. The experience is an adult dose of history, far removed from the comforting narrative of the lost cause. What history are some Americans trying to erase? The legacy of racial injustice will not disappear. Its stain will continue to seep through the fabric of our national discourse until it is recognized and mourned, and we plead forgiveness for the atrocities against our fellow man. As a young lawyer, Mr. Stevenson arrived in Alabama in 1989 to work with the Southern Center for Human Rights and provide legal representation to individuals on death row, not made available to the condemned despite the justice system's tendency to ignore any investigation or procedure in its rush to so-called justice. The book, Just Mercy, A Story of Justice and Redemption, is a chronicle of Stevenson's cases, including arguments to the Supreme Court to reverse the death penalty and life imprisonment for child offenders. The court agreed that children as young as 13 should be considered immature and vulnerable at the time of their crime and have potential for redemption and rehabilitation, not a life in prison or put to death. The book is one that must be placed aside occasionally by the reader in order to digest and recover from the cruelties described in its chapters. The 2019 movie Just Mercy is based on the book, but depicts only one man's story, that of Walter Ray McMillan and his unjust conviction and imprisonment on death row in Alabama for 30 years. The Legacy Museum from enslavement to mass incarceration, is situated between the boat dock where slaves were unloaded and dragged to the auction block. They were there sold, naked and chained, and separated from their family. The museum is not large. The facade can almost be overlooked. There are no snack bars inside. The displays are multimedia. A historical timeline separates photos of field work, living conditions, police violence, prisons, torture, death, fear, and hopelessness. Statistics throw through the number of lynchings per states and counties, rates of incarceration, and societal costs. Films on large and small screens depict the violence of the Freedom March from Selma, speeches by civil rights leaders and elected officials, injustices and widely accepted beliefs about slaves, the Negro, the African-American. One example, young black girls were thought to be fully mature emotionally 
and sexually so that rape, prostitution, or sex trafficking would not have an effect on their mental or emotional status as it would for a white girl of the same age. There would be no need for the nurturing, affection, or developmental considerations for any black female. Victims of lynching are recognized with soil from their sites of death displayed in jars along the shelves, along some shelves. Museum patrons walk in and around the displays, artwork, the room of photos of significant African Americans, almost in a trance, wiping a tear, shaking a head, drawing a deep breath, almost unable to look one another in the eye. Upon leaving the Legacy Museum, the sunlight outside feels harsh. The humidity, even on an early spring day, is annoying. But the pilgrimage continues by bus or walking to the National Memorial for Justice and Peace. It is on top of a hill, and the memorial gardens surround the base. Near the entrance, a sculpture depicts the agony of the slave block men and women straining against their chains. Walking towards the memorial, large plaques along the bordering walls have written testament to the failure of a nation, a society, citizens, and humans to acknowledge and correct a great wrong for over a hundred years. For example, an anti-lynching law has never passed in the United States. The memorial is a structure with a flat roof. Suspended from the roof, are narrow steel bars with steel monoliths hanging from them. These are to uh, symbolize coffins. There is one for every county where lynchings occurred with the names of the victims listed. Now the memorial seems cooler. Is it because it's shaded or is it just so chilling? The neck begins to ache looking up at slab after slab of names. Is there some hope that a familiar county will be blank? But they're all there, some with more names than others, some with many names, murdered on the same date, and probably a bloody attack for some perceived injustice with collusion. The crimes of the 4,084 lynchings of African Americans documented by the Equal Justice Initiative, 25% were accused of sexual assault. The stereotype that black men had an insatiable desire for sex with southern white women was widely held. Any interaction, a word, a glance, entering a room, a knock on a door, or a bump while running for a train involving a white woman could put into motion a lynching mob without law or trial. This was not the early Wild West where no legal structure existed. This was vigilante action well into the 1900s. Social transgression violating numerous Jim Crow laws were also punishable by lynching. Accusation of murder compromised 30% of lynchings with little or no investigation or court proceedings. Blacks lived in terror that almost any action could be misinterpreted as a black-on-white crime, quote-unquote, punishable by torture and death. Black lives did not matter, only white ones. The Punishment the white society's hatred was easily sparked into unspeakable inhumanity. Mobs pulled their victims not only from their own homes and families, but from jails. Fingers were chopped off, eyes were gouged out with a hot poker, 
The living could be castrated, burned, shot, dragged through the streets, mutilated in all kinds of ways before being hanged. This could occur for hours before a large white audience, including children, sometimes in the thousands, and occasionally over a picnic. The remains could sway for days in the trees, as in the lyric strain, lyrics of Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday. This terror, because the black race of people were believed to be stupid, lazy, morally, and intellectually inferior, complacent, not capable of pain or emotion. Your kidnappers and captors and owners showed no shred of human compassion or decency at any point in this American history. What is the mutation in our ancestors' genetic code that made this behavior possible? And look around us. Is it still within us? So what about us? Tennessee was one of the 12 most active lynching states in America, along with Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi, North and South Carolina, Texas, and Virginia. In Tennessee, there were 233 lynchings between 1877 and 1950. An additional eight states lynching was seen as common. My home state of Illinois, Kansas, Maryland, Missouri, Ohio, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. Uh, counties in Tennessee with lynchings, Lake Moore and Shelby, along with many others, Franklin County 3. Not too many numbers? Well, probably more. Um, the Equal Justice Initiatives found 800, uh, had found um, 800 unreported cases since starting their study. Now, I have spared you many of the descriptions of racial terror. Most were quote unquote killed enough times to count for more. One individual may be shot, burned, tortured, mutilated, hung, dragged, in a certainly a sign of overkill. Can we even imagine the suffering of black families, communities touched by this kind of violence, both then and even now? The museum and memorial seeks to advance truth and reconciliation about slavery, lynching and segregation. Director Brian Stevenson has given his life to this project, and he says it's best. Our nation's history of racial injustice casts a shadow across the American landscape. This shadow cannot be lifted until we shine the light of truth on the destructive violence that shaped our nation, traumatized people of color, and compromised our commitment to the rule of law and to equal justice. Other aspects of our nation history, nation's history our um, resistance to the right of black people to vote, mass incarceration, and of course police violence, among other things. So is Tennessee ready to address these things? Are you ready to address these things? Our history of racial terror, our legacy of racial inequality? Are we ready to explore the power of truth and reconciliation? Are we ready to urge our communities to honestly and soberly recognize the pain of the past? Can we challenge the absence of recognition on the subject of this past through discourse, memorials, and movements? Okay, well, let's start with the state. Tennessee is very conservative. I think our GOP majority doesn't like change, new ideas, new ways of thinking or listening to other perspectives. We are not alone. 
a desire to return to the good old days of sweeping the country. The problem is, those days weren't good for everyone. So over the years, significant numbers of Tennesseans have spoken out against this grand, first grand wizard and leader of the Ku Klux Klan. Now the Klan was formed in our own Tennessee, Pul Pulaski, Tennessee in 1865. Now the KKK, uh, after the Civil War, quickly spread, uh, the organization really spread, drawing members from every part of white society and spawned similar groups, all in order to crush the post-Civil War emancipated slave population with violence and intimidation. Now historian Eric Foner, F-O-N-E-R, notes that, quote, this wave of counter-revolutionary terror that swept over large parts of the South between 1868 and 1871 lacks counterpart either in the American experience or in that of the other Western Hemisphere societies that abolished slavery in the 19th century. So unknown numbers of black men and women were beaten, flogged, mutilated, terrorized, murdered. Yet the bus stands because, well, what other people think doesn't matter. There will be a statue of Ida B. Wells coming to Memphis this summer. So Ida Wells was born in Mississippi as a slave. She moved to Memphis at the age of 22 to be a teacher. She wrote a column for black newspapers and eventually became an editor where she started her anti-lynching movement um, after three black friends were brutally lynched defending their grocery store. She re relocated uh, to New York when her offices there were burned. She helped found the NAACP and spoke to groups from the U.S. and Britain against the atrocities of lynching. Her life's work was urging federal and international intervention against lynching, segregation, sexism, and racism. Her image has multiple times been suggested to replace Nathan Bedford Forrest, but the statue will be placed in Memphis. So let's take a look at addressing our history of racial terror and inequality as a means of finding truth and reconciliation. So this year in the Tennessee State Legislature, Education House Bill 1460. As introduced, it would require each school to provide each appropriate instruction to students on black history in the fifth and eighth grades, and the Department of Education would provide the schools with black history resources and materials. A slam dunk sounds reasonable. No, it's been to def deferred to summer study. We'll talk more about that. But maybe we need it now for Tennessee legislatures. Representative Justin Lafferty from Knoxville recently said on the House floor that counting slaves as three-fifths of a person was intended to end slavery. Well, no, it wasn't, but um, his statement, statement was still applauded by some. Um, so three-fifths of a person was part of the Constitutional Convention of 1786. Didn't have anything to do with slavery. Uh, that was the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. So, I don't know, he's refused further comments, so I don't know what he was thinking. This is all part of a discussion in the final days of the legislative session where lawmakers oppose critical race theory. Now, this is an academic movement that asserts that historical patterns of discrimination have created disadvantages based on race. So is racism a key part of our nation's story? 
and does it create imbalances that have endured? But despite having any examples of it being taught in any school in Tennessee, the bill banned teaching it, and funding would be withheld from any schools engaging in it. Now, Williamson County, earlier this year in March, uh, said that they were interested in uh, the schools that were interested in hiring a more diverse group of teachers and teaching black history. They denied that this fell under the heading of critical race theory. Also, in April, the Federal Register issued a public notice that the U.S. Department of Education was considering offering grants to help schools incorporate anti-racist practices into teaching and learning, among other priorities. Now, schools applying for the grants must um, describe how teachers will take into account systemic marginalization, uh, biases, inequities, and discriminatory policy and practice in American history, the notice reads. Uh, but in Tennessee, in addition to cutting state fan funding, this would also prevent schools from being able to seek out um, these training grants. I wanted to make my listeners aware of this because I think we'll be seeing uh, more of this uh, in the news because several states are trying to do the same thing, what seems to be in complete opposition to what the um, Equal Justice Initiative is is trying to do, is trying to say, is is trying to make us think about. Um, I, I think that um, the legislators should have taken a little bit more time for further study. Uh, that would have been a- appropriate. I think banning funding to schools is very heavy-handed. Um, but I think that about a lot of what the legislature does. I also want to say that um, black legislators were opposed to this, um, but very often, I mean, I think always, their personal experiences and opinions are not valued um, by the rest of the General Assembly. This also is probably a backlash to the 1619 project uh, put forth by the New York Times in 2019. The premise uh, of that is that American history started in 1619 with the first slave ships arriving, not 1776, with our victory for independence. The accusations that this movement wants to erase all the proud, feel-good aspects of our history tear us down and say that our democracy uh, was a failure is a a little reactive again. So that's politics, and we can do what we want, right? Let's look at Brian Stevenson's words again. Our nation's history of racial injustice casts a shadow across the American landscape. This shadow cannot be lifted until we shine the light of truth on the destructive violence that shaped our nation, traumatized people of color, and compromised our commitment to the rule of law and to equal justice. What can we do? What would this look like? So, start with black history. Start anywhere. Go anywhere. There's a wealth of museums and displays in the South. Open your mind. Discuss. Share with others what you see, what you think. Look around. Shootings, police violence, the neighborhoods that you drive through, statistics on jails and mass incarceration, the stats on health, infant mortality, maternal mortality, drug use, the lack of access to health care. How do these things relate to how black people have been treated since, if not 1619, the Civil War? Lands and loans, opportunities were withheld from black people throughout our history. So what could we do? Fight for Medicaid expansion? Prison reform? 
Look at how many things are considered felonies. How many things about voting discriminate against poor people, rural people, people of color? What would our work country look like if we reconciled or what have? Would we need so many police? Would there be so much violence? Would there be fewer jails and prisons? Death and drugs? We have more money for positive things like schools and parks and experiments and better ways of electricity moving around, transportation, travel. Would there would be would we be healthier? Would we be as fearful? What accomplishments could we make in education and science? You know, the South sacrificed teaching everyone. Better to not teach anyone than to have to teach black children after Brown versus education. Could the South have prospered without slave labor? Did everybody have to be so mean and cruel? Could it have prospered with pay, equal pay, humanity? Study Reconstruction after the Civil War, what if order had been maintained and not pulled out as a political stunt? What if the freed slaves would have been given land and money to farm? Would we be more successful? Would we have made greater um, accomplishments, greater strides on the world market? What if some of our peacemakers had survived? In conclusion, be brave, be strong, do something. Go to Montgomery. Thank you for listening to What About Us. Thanks for listening to my trip to Montgomery. Continue listening to Tennessee Holler podcasts. Go to at Coffee Holler and uh, Coffee Holler on uh, Facebook. And What About Us? We'll be back soon with more stories about rural Tennesseans. Bye-bye.